Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Today, let's jump into part two of running with giants as we are learning from Old Testament and New Testament heroes of the faith that Paul says in Hebrews, Hebrews that we are surrounded, everyone say surrounded, right? That we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And Paul says, so that we should run with endurance this race that God has given us to run. And so last week, we took a look at a guy in Genesis um, who was obedient and got in a boat when he was supposed to. What was his name? No, Noah. This week, we are looking at a young man that got in a boat when he wasn't supposed to. And who is that? Jonah, right? And so we're gonna look at the story of Jonah. And, and I hope at the end of it that maybe you see this story from a little bit different perspective because oftentimes, we read it from the mindset of learning from Jonah and that if we don't do what God tells us to do, we're gonna get swallowed by a whale. Like we've all done, like I've made decisions because I've been like, I read Jonah, I know how that ends, so I'm gonna do what God calls me to do. But there's also some things that I think will help us understand the nature of God as we're looking through this. So go to Jonah chapter one, and I wanna encourage you, get some time this afternoon and read through these four short chapters just to see the story in all um, together. And maybe God will reveal even something different to you uh, in addition to what I'm sharing today. So verse one, it says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Um, and he says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And he says, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the, what is it? Where did he go? The opposite. He went in the other way to get away from the Lord. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background on Nineveh and Assyria. In Genesis chapter 10, um, Moses lists out the lineage and the descendants of Noah. And within the descendants of Noah, there is this man named Nimrod. Okay, we probably called our coworkers that, right? Uh, maybe we've been called that. But Nimrod is considered a great warrior. And it says that, that, that he was against God fiercely, basically, is, is he turned his back on God because he thought he was great as or greater than. And Nimrod is responsible for building the city of Babylon, which was the capital of Babylonia. Uh, and his kingdom expanded out of Babylon into the land of Assyria, and he built cities within Assyria, and Nineveh was one of the cities that was built. So I just think it's odd that we read that Nimrod is one of Noah's descendants that we learned about last week, and he has created one of the largest, at this time, the largest pagan city um, in the known world. And Jonah 
has been sent to speak and to prophesy against it. And so when you think about this, he's asking a Jewish prophet, God is asking a Jewish prophet to go into the largest pagan city known at this time to proclaim God's judgment. Now we read that and and we think, okay, great, so what? But to help put it into perspective, one of the illustrations I read in in preparation was, was imagine during the years of World War II and God spoke to a Jewish man in New York and asked him to go into Berlin, Germany and speak and prophesy against the Nazi enemy. And instead of him going to New York or going to Berlin, he gets on a plane and goes to Anchorage, Alaska, the complete other in the other direction. I got to thinking about, so this, like, this pastor mentioned this like 20, 30 years ago, but I'm looking at the client, the climate and the culture of our world now, it would probably be close to the equivalent of God calling you or I to go to the White House and speak judgment against the White House and not go to the White House, but instead go to Australia, right, and hang out with the kangaroos. That's, that's essentially what Jonah did. He said, I'm going the other direction. And when you read it, though, it doesn't say he went in the opposite direction to get away from Nineveh. That's not what it says. He went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, to get away from the Lord. So he bought a one-way ticket to Tarshish, which in that time was pretty much the end of the world on what we consider now to be off the coast of Spain. And so he thought by going to the end of the world, he could get away from God. How many of you have like ever tried to get away from someone that you didn't want to be around? Like when, when, when you're dating and you don't like the person that you're dating, you can get away from them pretty easily. But when you're married to them, it's a little bit harder to get away from them. Okay, if you get upset at your kids and you try to get away from your kids, they will find you, right? And, and we have to understand that we can't get away from God. David even says in Psalm 139, he says, where can I go, Lord, that you're not even there? I can make my bed in hell and you are there. I can go to the darkest of darks and you are there. There is nowhere. And so Jonah is basically running in place if he's trying to get away from God because he's not gonna get away from God. And, and, and we know how the story goes. But let's compare Jonah to Noah, okay? Noah, had he ever built an ark before? No. And so God has asked him to build an ark even though he's never seen rain, even though he's, he's never built a boat. Him and his sons take 100 years to build this ginormous ark and he's never done it, but he does it. Jonah is a second generation prophet He has been given the gift of speaking in public. He has been given the gift of prophesying. He has a direct line from God, and he has been told by God to go to Nineveh and do what I've gifted you to do. But he doesn't like it, and he doesn't understand it, so he doesn't do it. Noah had never done it, maybe didn't like it, but he didn't understand it, but he did it. Because remember last week we said God's not concerned about age or experience. What's he concerned about? obedience. Let's flip the coin on the other side of the head and let's just say, look, even though we don't have to understand God's plan, we don't have to like God's plan. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to like it, but guess what we have to do? We have to follow it. We have to follow it. And even when we try to get away from it, it's still there. 
And I saw a meme this week is like the lessons that we keep having to go through over and over and over, the same situations that we have to keep going through over and over and over, they're lessons that we haven't learned yet. Could it be that God is chasing us, waiting on obedience until we surrender and obey to him? And that's what really we see happen in the life of Jonah. So we know that he goes and, and, and he buys this ticket to go to Tarshish and he gets on the boat and he's sailing on the boat, and what happens? There's a storm. He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Everyone's freaking out. They're praying to their gods. They're asking Jonah to pray to his God. He's like, look, I'm, it's me, <laughs> right? It's me. Throw me over, and the storm will cease. And essentially what he's saying is like, look, just kill me, and it's gonna be over. He wasn't expecting. To, we read the story, and we know God sends a fish. Jonah didn't know God was sending a fish. He was in the middle of the ocean being thrown into a storm in the ocean. I don't get out of a boat when the water's calm. I'm not gonna ask you to throw me out of the boat in the middle of the storm. So for all intents and purposes, Jonah thought this is it. I have abandoned God. I've disobeyed God. This is how my life is going to end. And we know how the story goes. He, throws, he gets thrown over. And he gets swallowed up by a giant fish. He repents while he's in the belly of the fish. In Jonah chapter two, there's this great little poem about his repentance prayer. But then you get to the end of Jonah chapter two and it says that the giant fish spit him back on the seashore. And I don't know how it works. Like I tried to go back. I was like, has this happened again since Jonah? And there's, there's a few legends where people have, have spent a day or two in the belly or the mouth of a whale. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago in the video circulating again, there's some folks that were kayaking where the whales were feeding and the whale was coming up to get fish and the kayaker just happened to be there. And so he got a little extra than what he was, like more than what he could chew, right? And so he like took a bite out of the kayaker, but he didn't get swallowed. But however it worked, Jonah was spit back out on the seashore. And then we see this in chapter three, verse one. It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. So he spoke to him once, said, I want you to go to Nineveh and speak judgment or repent, Jonah didn't listen, goes the other way. And so God speaks to him again a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time, everyone say this time, this time. Aren't you glad like sometimes God tells us again? I know my kids are glad sometimes that I have to tell them again before judgment, right? I don't like, but this time Jonah listened, obeyed the Lord's command, and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowd. So for three days, he is evangelizing, he's prophesying, he's preaching, he's shouting to the crowds. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days from now, Nineveh would be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. So Jonah has been given a second chance. How many of you are grateful for second chances, right? There's all been things to where we did not follow through with or, or maybe the, our first life wasn't so glamorous and Christ through his love has given us a second chance with new life. And we're all thankful Jonah has been given 
a second chance, but it's not just Jonah who's been given a second chance. Nineveh has also been given a second chance. God gives us second chances because we need them. I rarely get things right the first time. I rarely get things right the second time. Maybe by the 10th or 11th time, I might get it right. Anybody else right? But God also gives us second chances because others need them as well. And not that they need their second chance, but they receive their second chance through our second chance. We get to play a role in their second chance because God gave us a second chance. Let's look at the story of, of, of Jesus and Peter. Peter denied Jesus how many times? Not once, not twice, but three times. And that could have been how Peter's story ended. But after the resurrection, Jesus and the disciples are having a fish sandwich on the shore. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. And he asks him a third time. And Peter's response is the same. You know I do. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep and feed my lamb. Peter's second, she second chance was not just for Peter. But Peter would be the one to feed preach, I'm all tongue-tied, guys, I'm sorry, would be the, the first one to preach the very first sermon in the church with no notes and thousands would come to salvation in Christ because of Peter's second chance. They were given a second chance. And I talked about you guys that were here for the, for the hope stories. Um, Kenny and Scottina Pickens, she lived many years in alcohol addiction. And because of that, her marriage suffered, her health suffered, her relationship with her kids suffered. God gave her a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. But finally, one of those chances stuck. And because of her second chance, she is now participating in giving second chances to those who are moving into her recovery residencies. And so sometimes we get so selfish and think all of our second chances are just about us, but they're not just about us. They're for the people that God has around us that we are to be speaking and preaching in life and in words to them that they might come to know Christ. So second chances are given because we need them, but also because others need them. And, and I've been, been saying this a little bit, just trying to wrap my brain around what we are a part of here at Avenue Church. We're a part of something so much greater than just what happens here on Sunday mornings. And I've been telling our team this as a reminder, like what we are a part of is so much greater than the part that we play. It's so much greater. The miracles that God does in your life, there's so much more to it than just what he does in your life. Because what he does in your life has a residual effect into the lives of those around you. And the second chances he works in our lives impacts those that are around us. Jonah chapter three, so we know that everyone repented. He goes into the city, he's preaching. Everyone repents and even says that, that the king called to fast from the youngest to the oldest and for everyone to put on burlap and ashes as a sign of mourning and repentance, even the animals and the farm animals. So folks have been dressing up their pets for a very long time. If that's you, no shame. You just got issues, okay? But it's saying that, that so I, like, when I'm reading that, I'm just, I'm just picturing like these cows and these cats. They don't know what's going on. 
And their owners come on and they put on this like burlap sheet and they put ashes on them and take away all their food. And like, what did I do, right? It just doesn't make, make any sense. But their hearts were so turned by what Jonah was preaching that they even wanted the animals to survive this. And this was Jonah's response. So Jonah 3.10 says, when God saw what they had done, talking about the Ninevites and how they had put a stop to their evil ways. So, so what that means, they were walking in one direction in wickedness and evil. They put a stop to it and turned. Guess what that is? That is repentance. So they had repented from their wicked and evil ways. And it says that God changed his mind and did not carry out all the destruction that he had threatened. Now, we see this a few other times in Old Testament, and we say all the time, God never changes. He's the same yesterday and forever. But wait, he changed his mind. I don't, I don't understand that. And I'll get to the end of, in the moment why that's important. And this was Jonah's response. How would you respond? Like a whole city essentially like turns from their wicked ways. You would be celebrating. We'd have a cookout, right? We'd have a party. Like let's go bring an ice cream truck. No, this is, this is what Jonah says. This change of plans greatly upset Noah, or greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Did I say, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. And so what's, what's happening is Jonah's heart is being uncovered. So yes, there partly was running away from Nineveh because it was this giant pagan city, and he was terrified. But he goes on to reveal a little bit of the other reason why he probably ran away. He says, I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, that you are slow to get angry, that you are filled with unfailing love. God, I knew that you were eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted it's going to happen. Can we just let that settle for a little bit? In this moment, who's the most wicked? Is it the people in Nineveh or is it Jonah and his heart? It's Jonah and his heart. The people were acting wicked, but really subconsciously, you peel back the layer, Jonah was just as wicked, if not more. Like, like that's insane for me to think that God has just spared a whole city and Jonah is mad because God's good. That's what it's saying. God, I know you're compassionate, but you suck. Like, why? Like, he's so mad because God is sparing a city that doesn't make sense to me. He's saying, I would rather be dead than those people to live. I would rather be dead than those people to receive mercy. And the re Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah, why are you angry about this? And I think about Alan Iverson from the early 2000s. Practice? We're really talking about practice? Like, Jonah, you're angry about redemption? You're angry about grace? Really? We're talking about this right now? And it says, and Jonah says, I'm, yes, I'm so angry that, that I wanna die. Now, I want to I just take a couple of moments here, and I want to speak to some of us that maybe we've spent a significant amount of time in the church, and maybe we are a little further away from our mercy moment than what we used to be. 
And if we're not careful in this day and age with all the culture war and all the sin that is running rampant and there's those people and there's us people, that if we're not careful, we will allow religious entitlement to cloud our understanding of God's grace and mercy for others. Because we are so far, and guys, think about this. Like, like Jonah had just spent three days in the well praying, my life's pretty much over, but I'm gonna turn my head and my prayers to the temple one last time thinking this is it, and God spits him out on the seashore. He's received mercy and grace, but it did not take long for him to forget that mercy and grace as he sees the wickedness of Nineveh. Because sometimes, if we've been walking with Jesus for a little bit, we are his favorite, but we forget where we have came from. Jesus speaks to the to to the religious leaders at the time because they think because they're sons of Abraham, they're okay. And sometimes we think just because I've been going to church my whole life, it's okay. Just because my grandparents, just because I'm a second, I'm a second generation prophet, God, it's okay. But our religious entitlement can cause a cloudiness in our understanding of God's grace and mercy in other people's life. Because Paul even says this, like we were once like them. We were once like them. But this is what it also does. It also clouds the appreciation of God's grace in our lives. It clouds their appreciation because we think we, we just deserve it. Guys, you know what we deserve according to scripture? Death. We deserve nothing but death. And so we begin to take it for granted. And I know it's not you. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Come on. But there are times where we take the grace that we have been given and the mercy we've been given for granted in our lives and we think other people aren't deserving because they live a different lifestyle. Now, I will say this. I think things are gonna get harder. Standing for truth and biblical truth is going to get harder. We must continue to stand and be committed to the beliefs that are found in this word. When it comes to gender ideology and sexuality and all these things, we will stand for truth. But at the other end, at the same time, as much as we're committed to truth, we have to be committed to compassion and understanding that God wants all people to know him. And if they don't want to know his people, they're not gonna wanna have anything to do with him. And so he's, God's like, why are you mad about this? This is what I want. Yes, I'm compassionate. Yes, I turn back. So he didn't really change his mind. Because his mind has always been to seek and to save the lost. To seek, so his mind has always, he is unchanging. And sometimes we'll see the Old Testament God as this harsh dictator. And we see Jesus as the New Testament and compassionate. But he's the same from Genesis to Revelations to today. He's the same. But we do not need to allow our religious entitlement to cloud those things. And so how do we understand that? Jonah, when he was in the belly of the well, he repented. The citizens of Nineveh, what did they do? They repented because repentance is the only prerequisite for God's salvation. There's nothing else. We say that, but there are times when actually we don't live that because we think, I have to clean up, I have to act right, I have to be right. But really the two things that we see in scripture is wickedness and repentance. 
is that we understand our wickedness and we repent from that wickedness and that through Christ's sacrifice is the only prerequisite for you and I to receive his grace and to receive his mercy. And so that levels the playing field. For those who are unrighteous, living in sin, but also for those of us who are self-righteous and think we are above sin. And can I just be honest? Like I know for me personally that sometimes it's the self-righteous that have a harder time repenting than the unrighteous because we've been walking in this entitlement and this faith and this blessing and we think, okay, but it is a contrite and it is a broken and repentant heart that God needs. Right? And so Jonah is seeing all this and he's, he's beginning to understand this. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians uh, 17. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away or leads us into repentance and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow. And so Jonah, Jonah goes up on this hill and it says that he builds a shelter, and so he's probably sitting back in a lazy boy in a recliner with some popcorn, just waiting on like hellfire and brimstone to rain upon Nineveh, not fully realizing that they've been fasting and praying and God's saving them, and so he's just waiting, watching for 40 days. And it says that God allowed this leafy vegetable, this, this, this leafy plant to grow And it grew so fast in this 40-day period. This is fast, guys. Like it grew up tall enough and wide enough that it was shade for Jonah. That's fast. I don't know if you guys have ever planted gardens or trees. Like they don't normally grow that fast. It takes time. But this plant grew so fast that it gave enough shade to cover Jonah, to keep him cool in the heat. So God sent that. God sent the fish. God sent the plant. And then it says that God sent a worm to gnaw at the stem of the plant. And as he gnawed at the stem of the plant, it withered and it died and it just falls over. And it says the Lord sent a scorching heat, a scorching wind. And Jonah's all upset again, so upset that he wants to die. And then God says this. He says, Jonah... Is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? Practice, again, we're talking about practice. We're talking about this plant. Is it, like, do you have a right to be angry? Like you didn't plant it, you didn't cause it to grow. Why are you so angry? And Jonah said, yes, I'm angry enough to die because of a plant. Now, I'm a yard guy, okay? My Bermuda's almost getting there because it's starting, but, but I'm not gonna like die if my yard dies. I got other things to live for. But for Jonah, all of his identity, like all of his life was tied up in this moment with this plant and God offering mercy instead of wrath. And then God says this as we get ready to close. And the Lord said in Jonah 4 verse 10, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. And just to to pause there, like we see this reference all throughout scripture that when God compares our life, when David is writing, comparing our life, he says, it's just like plants. It's there and then it's gone. It's there and then it fades. And so you say, look, this plant was just here. You did nothing, it was here and now it's gone and you're mad. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living there. That's not what it says. How does it say they're living? They're living in spiritual darkness. 
not to mention the animals still stuck in their sackcloth and ashes, have no idea why. But says these 120,000 people are living in spiritual darkness, which means they don't even know they're in spiritual darkness, guys. And he's saying, you're mad about a plant, but why should I not care about these 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness and they don't even know? Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? See, we read this and we think it's about Jonah and being obedient, but really it's about God's love for people. But God's, God's greatest priority is people. People are God's greatest priority. That's one of our core four values. We put our hope in Jesus. We respond in worship. We are persistent in prayer, and people are our priority. They're God's priority. They ought to be our priority. And so God's nature is not changed. And, and Jonah even recognizes, and he reminds God. He says, God, listen, I'm mad because you're merciful and compassionate, that you're slow to get angry, that you're filled with unfailing love, that you're eager to turn back from destroying people. If God allows us to stay in our spiritual blindness, guess what it's doing? It's destroying us. He has sent Jonah to Nineveh to help people realize that they are living in spiritual blindness so that they may be saved. And I know I've said it a couple of times already, but I just believe this is the place where we're at as, as, a, as a church, not just Avenue, but I think you see it in the news, you see it in social media. There is this great divide and that we can't just look at the Ninevehs in America, whether it's California or New York or Colorado or wherever, right? We just can't look at the states that are blue or red or whatever and be like, God, give me all your mercy, but thwart those almighty God, Right? We can't, we can't do that. Because God has compassion on them just like he had compassion on us. And I have to believe, guys. I have to believe that at points within people's lives, when they are away from God, there are moments when they realize this just doesn't feel right. But because sin is so trapping, it draws people back in. We even know like in Luke, it says that the prodigal son left and he had a moment in the pig pen. It says that he came to himself and he realized I wasn't where I was supposed to be and he went back home. I have to believe that if God is real and God is speaking and Jesus' sacrifice was for all, that even those that are far from God have moments where like, this just isn't it. I don't know what it is, but I don't feel like this is it. And as the church, we can't stand on the east side of Nineveh just waiting for the whole thing to explode. Because the church those of us that are here that are walking with Jesus, we've been given the second chance. In our sin, we were in the belly of the well. Some of us three days, some of us three years, some of us maybe 30, whatever that well was for you. You were there, but you were given a second chance. And your second chance, my second chance, was to speak truth in love so that others can receive second chances. And we get to play a role in that.
but we can't allow just our religious entitlement to hold us back. Or maybe you're here today and you don't feel entitled for grace and mercy because you're not religious enough. You're not entitled. I'm not entitled. It is a gift so that we can't brag about it. And so church, here's what I want us to do. I want us to learn from Noah and look, like God got the last word. Noah or Jonah, Jonah shut his mouth. He didn't say anything else. He said, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? This is one of only two places in the Old Testament where the book ends with a question from God. God gets the last word and it's grace and it's mercy for those who repent. And so I wanna pray for us that, that we would have the compassion that God has, that we would trust when he calls us to go to say something. I'm just speaking to a young lady first service and she was like, God's been telling me to do some things I didn't understand and to say some things to people I didn't understand. And you were saying to me what God's been saying to me, confirming that I'm supposed to say to other people what I don't understand. Do you guys follow that? Okay, good, because I did not, right? <laughs> but we just have to be okay in not understanding and even not liking when God tells us to go and know that his grace and his mercy, his compassion is in that. And if you're here today and you've not experienced that, I want today to be the day that you do that. You don't have to be religiously entitled. You just have to surrender to God's grace and his mercy. Can we pray together? Father, I just come to you this morning and I thank you, God, for your incredible presence and spirit in this room. God, that even during worship, God, you are always here. Not that we have to invite you to come down, but the invitation opens our eyes and opens our heart and our spirit to what you're doing. And God, if there is anyone in this room today that feels unworthy of your gift of grace and mercy, God, you have already shown their worthiness. We're not entitled to it, but you have shown our worth to receive it by the price that you've paid. And God, if there's anyone here today that has not accepted that gift or maybe they call themselves a Christian but they don't really know you like they wanna know you. God, that repentance comes for the unrighteous and the self-righteous that we would just simply surrender and say, Jesus, I give you my life. That's not all that's gonna be said but God, I pray that it's the start of an incredible lifelong conversation and relationship where you lead their steps. God, let that sin be wiped away. God, let that shame be removed. Let it be replaced with joy and confidence in who they are in you. And God, for the rest of us, is God, maybe you've given us um, words to speak. Maybe you've sent us in a direction and you've sent us two people, but we've been afraid. Maybe we've been indignified or maybe we've felt unqualified, but God, I pray that we would just be obedient even if we don't understand it or like it. We would just do it. And knowing that at the end of the day, people are your highest priority, that everything you've done in our life is not just so that we can come to church and go through routines, but God, you've called us to a purpose and to something greater outside of even what we could understand. And so God, just help us as a congregation and as your followers to be able to do that. And we thank you for your mercy and grace in our life. Let us never underappreciate that. In Jesus' name, amen.